It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? If you're not behind Mark Davis after this, and you don't think that Mark Davis has the mind to go all in, now you have to look at the situation differently and what he's doing for you as a fan base to give you hope to win. JT the Brick. That's his job. He's the owner of the team. He's got to have an opportunity to win championships. Mark's told me a hundred times in private settings what a Super Bowl would mean to him personally. And it means more to the fan base for him than it does to him. So Mark went all in. Just win, baby. That's what they got to do. And now, here's JT the Brick. All right, out of the gate, hour number two of the show. We got a lot of people to thank here, including Resorts World, who have teamed up with me for another year with the first radio show ever to have access to Resorts World. How cool is that? The vision of Scott Sabella and that entire property from Doghouse Saloon, where they have their unbelievable sports book and their venue for live music and sports, all the way to eight cigar lounges where you'll find me most of the time, especially when I need to get my voice going with a good cigar on the weekend. Had a great time there, and we are excited for the appearances we have lined up and everything that we're going to do there. We had Dave Ziegler on for 30 minutes. We had Jeff Sherman on. So I want to get people on the radio talking about our conversation with Dave Ziegler. You heard it. You heard what he had to say about the players he drafted, his competition philosophy, his track record before he got here, uh, what he expects from the fans competing against the Raiders in the past, what he thinks of the Raider organization, and on a new friend, someone who's been listening to me on the radio for a long time, which I'm proud of. I'm proud of being on the radio 25 years uninterrupted. And Dave was listening, as he told me, for most of it. So it's good to have him in the building and have the access that we're going to have with him going forward and calling it straight and talking about how he develops this team. He will be available for us to talk about, and he is excited to be in this position. Now what do the Raiders do? Uh, the key additions to the Raiders and what they were able to do in the offseason really set up the draft. And I, I thought it was interesting what he said, that they had a couple of players in case his pick wasn't there and Dylan Parham at the offensive lineman who came into play. If he was not available at that point in time, they had two to three other players between pick number 86 and 90 that they were comfortable in taking. And, and of course they did. That's his job. If the player isn't there, you better have someone quickly to go with, and he got the player he wanted. So that was very important. Uh, when he got the running back, Zamir White, uh, that player, the more and more video I look at, one of my best friends is a Georgia fan, and he watches every second of Georgia. And I didn't realize, because I, I watch you know, the, the championship game and the playoffs and one or two of their games, but I, I don't watch the spring game and know all that about them. Zamir White has had a pass that was full of trials and tribulations to get here. As Dave talked about, a fierce downhill runner. So they have that type of running back now. They have two of them in the building. They have the brand new one with the fresh legs and Zamir White, who's had two knee surgeries, but has cleared his way through that in a national championship. So he's good to go. And Josh Jacobs. I know a lot of Raider fans want to talk about Josh Jacobs going forward. Uh, that's what everybody talked about me with me over the draft. When I bumped into Raider fans at our remote at Cafe Americano, everybody's saying, hey, JT, what do you think is going to happen with Josh Jacobs? I don't know. I don't know. He did not have his fifth-year option renewed for a reason. I don't think he's lived up to the price point of that, but I think he's lived up to it when it comes to heart and soul and what the Raiders asked him to do. He's taken a beating. 
He's taken a beating. He's really their featured back from the time he came in here his rookie season. And he's been injured but played through injuries and was exceptional down the stretch. So there's no doubt that the Raiders have added running backs to this running back room who are supposed to have a huge impact. Brandon Bolden comes over from the Patriots, so Josh McDaniels knows what he can do. Then they go out and get a running back in the fourth round and Zamir White. He's going to make the team and get touches. And then depending on what Josh Jacobs feels and does in the game plan there. So the Raiders, to me, it reminds me a lot of what the Patriots do successfully. What have the Patriots done successfully since you were a kid or recently if you're a fan of the team? The Patriots line up two tight ends. It could have been Aaron Hernandez, and we don't talk about him much because of what his life looked like before he passed. And Rob Gronkowski, one of the greatest tight ends of all time. They had multiple running backs. If you put in any situation, were able to win Super Bowls. They weren't the elite running backs in all of football. They were players who were put in a situation to do their job, and they were able to do it. Sounds a lot like the Raiders now. And then the slot receiver. No one has had a bit bigger impact on the slot receiver position. Nobody close than Josh McDaniels. You don't have to say that Josh McDaniels is the greatest play caller, greatest coach of all time. That's fair. When it comes to what to do with the slot receiver, nobody is in the conversation with Josh McDaniels, period. He had Randy Moss for a little bit of time, but he had the slot receivers in Amendola, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, and now he has Hunter Renfro. So for Renfro, I don't know how many balls he's going to get, the volume of balls, but he's going to be set up to be successful again. Devontae Adams. I mean, we spent a good 10 minutes talking about Devontae Adams, and that's what I think you'd want to call in on, on how everything was affected, how everything changed with Devontae Adams. I mean, Dave Ziegler told us a lot about that. Once they decided, and that's not Dave's track record, this is the first time he's ever been a GM. And going back to his years in Denver as a scout, an area scout, player personnel assistant, he goes to New England from 13 to 15, and he's assistant director of pro scouting. Then he's the director of pro personnel from 2016 through 19, where he had all that success too and championships. But they never pulled the trigger on a deal like that. The Patriots, where they didn't have a first and second round pick, and then they did a massive trade for the highest, second highest paid wide receiver in NFL history. Once they did that, everything changed for Dave. Future draft picks, right? So you give away draft picks now and in the future. The cap in the future, how much they're spending on that position, which is really fascinating to me, and what he wants to do going forward again. So Devontae Adams, to me, is a much bigger part of the philosophy of the Raiders going forward than I knew of going into that interview. I mean, you just think, oh, man, they got Devontae Adams. Derek wanted him. Devontae didn't want to play with Aaron Rodgers. So let's go get him. And they were able to go get him. But it affects everything. It affects the position group and the amount of money, as Dave Ziegler told us, that he would use for a receiver that also has to play special teams. I would assume from what he said that money goes down because a lot of it went to Devontae. But that position group is really important to the Raiders. And it's going to be important for the Raiders for a while because they made a full commitment to Devontae Adams, and he has to be great. On the defensive side of the ball, the only thing we ran out of time with, and I didn't have a lot of time to get into, would have been the back end of the defense. Trayvon Merrig, Rakia Sin, the development of Trayvon Mullen. And Trayvon Mullen will be developed here in the next couple of months 
when it comes to camp and the preseason to see if he's able to stay on this team and what the depth will look at that position and how he's going to be able to play with Anthony Everett also back there. Uh, Darius Phillips and the depth of the secondary. But they didn't go big on linebackers in the draft with their draft picks, and they had to sign some undrafted free agents. And that's okay. That was the decision they decided to do. I'm really fascinated about what they're going to do on cutdowns and how they're going to cut players down who aren't going to make the team, wink, wink. They're going to be June 1st casualties, but the ability for them to pick up other players. So as we get going this hour, trip uh, 702-365-9200, what was your biggest takeaway from our conversation? And what do you believe, what do you believe is going to be the next big move for Dave Ziegler, who listens to the show, was on the show today, is in the building today, and could be listening now. So assuming Dave's listening and he's grinding and he's back in the office, what do you think is going to have to be the next big move? Is it getting rid of one of the players that weren't optioned? Is it picking up a player after June 1st from another team? As I asked him that, and clearly that is something he's developing. Or is it really analyzing a couple of players' roles that could be here and maybe they get coached up a little bit more? I got a couple of texts from friends who were listening to the interview that said they're interested in this Leatherwood conversation we had. Because he seems to like Leatherwood. He's not in lo- I don't think he's in love with Leatherwood. I won't put words in his mouth. But Leatherwood is the Outland Trophy winner from a national championship team coached by Nick Saban and his staff. That is not a guy you throw away, even if you don't think he played well, moving him from right tackle to right guard. But then there's more guards coming in now. So if you don't believe that Leatherwood can start at right tackle, I can promise you one thing, there's going to be competition for Leatherwood to be on the field at the tackle position. Now, I would hope that Leatherwood would win that battle. I would hope that he'd be able to go out there and win that battle because of his experience. And clearly, Alex Leatherwood was a much better player in college than Thayer Munford, the junior offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Because Munford played in 12 games as a reserve lineman in 2017 before he got Big Ten, all Big Ten honors as a sophomore, and then his career got better and better. He played in a lot of games, but he is not an elite offensive tackle that would go in the first or second round. And then when it comes to Dylan Parham, you're wondering where he's going to play. He's played center. He's been able to play tackle. He's been able to move to guard. So he seems like the type of player who not only has a chance to start on this team, on this roster, but when someone goes down, he's going to have an opportunity to jump in and play. And then if he gets that opportunity to play, you would hope that he'd be able to play that position for quite some time. So with all of that, uh, what do you think is the next big decision? Try to guess the next big decision that we're going to see from Dave Ziegler. And it's important enough for you to call me at 702-365-9200. I got all my draft notes here in front of me. And for the Raiders without a first and second round pick, the Raider Nation seems pretty happy about what's in front of them. Pretty happy. And I know that because I talk and interact with Raider fans in person, not on the radio. And we do it on the radio, obviously, in this job. But I'm out there. I'm out front and center talking to Raider fans. And last year, I had a lot of Raider fans blowing me up, really upset, didn't like the draft, didn't like the first pick in Leatherwood. I'm not getting any of that now because the Raiders started off with a third-round pick. When you start off with a third-round pick, 
you don't get the intensity and energy from the Raider Nation that when you're picking a Gary on Connolly or Damon Arnett or Henry Ruggs. You see where I'm going there. And then, especially after a draft, I don't remember getting one call, absolutely one call from anybody on Max Crosby. We did get a few on Hunter Renfro because he caught a game-winning touchdown in a national championship. But the rest of the players along the way after that who were still on this team, there wasn't a lot of buzz for them. Because the last couple of years in this building, the buzz has always been around the top picks. The top picks who come in and have the biggest impact. So that's what we're doing today. And that's what we want to hear from you before we get out of here. We have a draft expert coming in. An analysis in a few minutes, maybe near the bottom of the hour. 702-365-9200. Wanted to play this bit of sound from Aaron Rodgers on Devontae Adams. This was on SiriusXM, the Pat McAfee show. It's about two minutes worth listening as Aaron Rodgers lost his best player. I think he was a little surprised that Devontae didn't come back to play with him. Well, we've had a lot of success with the second and third round receivers uh, in Green Bay. Look at uh, Greg Jennings and Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, James Jones in the third round, obviously Devontae Adams in the second round. Uh, Those guys turned out pretty good. So uh, I'm not sure. I think we're about to pick here in a second. But, um, but you know, it was it was a little surprising with Devontae. Um, obviously, when I made my decision, uh, I was still thinking he was going to come back. You know, I was I was very honest with him about my my plans and my future and where I saw you know my career going uh, as far as how many years I wanted to play. But I, I felt like you know he was going to be back. Uh, didn't obviously turn out that way. But I have so much love for Tay and appreciate the time we spent together and and definitely wish him uh wish him the best with Derek in in uh in Vegas but that's a big hole to fill for sure yeah Devontae's an absolute stud and thank you for talking about that by the way I think people are going to be intrigued to hear that whenever you said that it did surprise you a little bit I saw Mad Mel Kuyper shake his head but it doesn't sound like you are that pissed off about it either you understand business is business and you have faith and trust in Goody and and uh LaFleur and everybody over at Green Bay much more now than maybe in the past well, it is the business, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough business. It's a wonderful profession. And those of us who've been blessed to play for so long realize that completely. And, um, there's a lot of things that happen that surprise you even, even still. And I thought that based on the number that we offered Devonte, and, you know, being able to play with me for a few more years, um, would definitely make a difference. But, uh, in the end, I think he was ready to move on and, and wanted my help in, in making that happen. And uh, it was a tough position to be in, for sure, because I love him and I care about him and want him to be happy. Uh, and he's definitely going to be missed. That is incredible to me. I mean, the, the era, the, the level of cockiness for Aaron Rodgers is never going to come down. He's the highest paid player in football with that contract extension. He is very cocky, depending on the years, especially the mid to back years with Deshaun Watson. But Aaron Rodgers, a $50 million a year quarterback now, coming off of back-to-back MVPs. So with the back-to-back MVPs, he said it on SiriusXM that, you know, I expected him the opportunity to play with me and what they offered him, he would come back. That's a massive story for Raider fans to really dive into. It really is a massive story to talk about the fact that Devontae Adams, who's a good guy and is not doing anything malicious, would not play with Aaron Rodgers. He was done. 
Now, you could say it's the weather, it's the golf, it's the family, the relationship to the car family, wanting to get a fresh start and all of that. It is very difficult to leave the Green Bay Packer organization, period, especially if they're paying you and they're about to pay you because of the ease of that team to get to the postseason. I mean, it's very easy for that team to get to the postseason playing in that division with Detroit, Minnesota, and Chicago. All Devontae had to do was show up to training camp, not be thrilled about the money per se, what he was going to get. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play much in training camp or let alone preseason. Either was Devontae, and they start the season off, and at a minimum, they're an 11-win team, most likely 12. They get a bye week, or they're playing at home for the first and second round of the playoffs. That's not guaranteed in Las Vegas. I think eventually it'll happen. It could happen this year for the Raiders if Carr and Devontae get off to a brilliant start and they're playing at a very high level. But he knew he had a better chance to do it in Green Bay, and he chose the Las Vegas Raiders. And that has got to kill Aaron Rodgers. Because when you have a two-time MVP, you're supposed to recruit everybody. LeBron James, it blew up in his face, but LeBron was able to get Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis out of New Orleans. And LeBron this offseason will be able to recruit pretty much whoever he wants. Aaron Rodgers is not able to do that. Have you heard a lot of players saying, I want to play with Aaron Rodgers? You don't hear that much. So I find that to be a really unique and compelling story. 702-365-9200 coming off the Dave Ziegler interview today. And getting, I think all the Raider nations hung over today, Bobby, from the draft. That, I was, too. I was, too, but I had to work three shows uh, starting Sunday night, so I got my A game. We'll try to wake the Raider nation up, uh, get them out of their slumber, and remind them where they are from no, uh, noon to two. Uh, Brentley Wiseman is going to join us coming up. He's a draft analyst. He's going to be calling in here in the next five to ten minutes, and then we'll come back and take a look at some of the other big news stories around football. USFL spinning that it's good. Okay, I haven't watched much. I don't think you have either. The NBA playoffs is outstanding. The Yankees have won 10 in a row in baseball. UNLV football was excited about their turnout at the spring game. I was able to spend some time with Marcus Arroyo, their head coach over the weekend. And it seems like the Rebels have a little bit of an extra pep step in them going into this year at Allegiant Stadium. We'll talk to him hopefully in the next week or two here as we had a good time at the draft. 702-365-9200. We're at JT The Brick on Twitter and Facebook. When we come back, we'll dive deeper into the draft. I had five grades of A or better. Five. We'll go through all of them. I thought the Raiders did really well, but I wasn't going to give them a, you know, a super grade because they didn't have a first and second round pick. But the Raiders did really well. Who were the teams that really shined? We'll get to that before the top of the hour. Brought to you by Grimaldi's, best pizza I ever had, live from the Raider facility. Yes, uh, I, I I had uh, probably my first formal interview was uh, with the Raiders when I was in Vegas for the East-West Shrine Bowl, and it was a great interview, and we stayed in contact throughout the process, um, and I think last week or earlier this week, all these days are running together. It's been a, a great uh, but long last few days. Uh, I had an interview with the D-line coach with the Raiders, and uh, it was an absolutely great interview. We got to talk a lot of ball, talk a lot about ourselves, and just 
um, just see how we could connect. And uh, I'm thankful that we were able to connect well enough for uh, me to be, be drafted to this great organization. That's Matthew Butler, the defensive tackle out of Tennessee. JT, back with you. Thanks for joining us. Brought to you by our good friends at Remy Martin. Team up for excellence with the Remy Martin sidecar. Remy Martin, a Remy Martin proud partner of our show. In all the video recaps that I watched, uh, clearly Zamir White, the running back out of Georgia, was going to pop off the screen. Georgia played in all these great games, so we had a good idea. We knew that he was going to be fantastic. But what I saw in the video blast that they showed of Matthew Butler was pretty impressive. I mean, his first step and what he was able to do at Tennessee and how they had to double-team him. Then I asked Dave Ziegler about it. You could tell that this guy was an impactful guy. He was going to come out and be the type of player that's going to get a lot of snaps and be in a position to you know, not take over a game. He's a rookie. He hasn't made the team yet. He's been signed, and he's coming in here. But just the type of rotational player that I want to see. You know, going back to Jelly Ellis, friend of the show, nice guy. The Raiders haven't had that type of player. Daryl Russell, for those who have been in the Raider Nation a long time, know who I'm talking about. Daryl Russell made the Pro Bowl his first two years, Pro Bowl in the league. And he unfortunately passed away and we lost him. And he was a great player. And then he had personal issues in his life and he never developed into that potential Hall of Fame talented players. I've always said this about Warren Sapp. Uh, Warren Sapp hasn't had great things to say all the time. He's been very unstable in his personal life. We all know that. But when Sapp came to the Raiders, I was the sideline guy. He played his ass off. Richard Seymour's going to the Hall of Fame. He played at a high level, but he was older up there. His best years were behind him. I remember when Justin Tuck came from the Giants with his Super Bowl background. Played hard. Once a Raider, always a Raider. But the Raiders need some young tackles now who can come in and dominate and be here for a while, get a contract extension, and be a part of the growth of this team. It has to happen. Uh, Your conversation on what Dave Ziegler needs to do next, 702-365-9200. Evan in Marietta, California, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, JT, love your show. I love the interview with with Dave. It was awesome. And uh, I think as a Raider fan, you know, we always hoped that we would make the playoffs and have an improved team and a better team. And this time I really believe that we have a team that can win the AFC West. I think we're better than every team except for Kansas City. I love what we did in the draft. Mm. I love how the organization approaches free agency and the draft. Um, Previous years, you know, you just kind of hope. But this year I loved, I think we crushed the draft with our Mm. picks. Uh, I love their aggressiveness. And it gives me great pride to be a Raider fan. I love your show, and I appreciate all you do. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening on the Raiders mobile app so you can stream the show. Thank God we have that capability here. Thank God. Thanks for listening on Raider Nation Radio and especially on that mobile app. It's tough to say the Raiders killed the draft because they didn't have a first and second round pick. I've made that point clear, but they got Devontae Adams. And most of our interview, or the biggest chunk of it with Dave Ziegler today, was about Devontae. And how much went into that and affected the draft and the price of the position groups and everything they're doing going forward. But it was a Devontae Adams draft because the Raiders didn't have a first and second round pick. And it was the Georgia Bulldog draft, 15 players. And it was the trade draft, broke the record for nine trades in the first round. You know, before when Dave sat down, the first question I asked him, what was it like to look at the draft from HQ here? 
Remember, they don't have a pick until day two. So they're doing their board. They're working their butt off. But he's looking at the TV, and it's the Bellagio Fountains in the link. And he was blown away by that. Everybody is. Everybody I talk to is really excited about that. Opens up a line for you anywhere in the Raider Nation, 702-365-9200, as we welcome in Brentley Wiseman from the Draft Network, former NFL scout for the Chargers, worked with the Patriots and the Raiders, and he's kind enough to join us to recap the draft. Brentley, thanks for doing this. And I want to begin with your takeaway. I was just mentioning on Vegas, really pulling it off and putting on a show for the draft. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. And actually, first off, JT, thank you for having me on. But, you know, definitely, I thought, I thought Vegas lived up to the hype. The players, the families, the fans all loved it. And, you know, one of the reasons why I really like the idea of the draft being in Vegas is to think about Vegas as a kind of tourist destination. And we saw just a lot of fans from all over the country, whether it was Steelers fans, Niners fans, even Jaguars fans. It just made the event worthwhile coming out because you can also spend time in Vegas. And so I personally, while I like the idea of the drafts kind of changing cities every other year or so, I would love to see it return to Vegas on a more kind of consistent basis because I think it's such a perfect city for the event. So how will you? How would you describe all those drafts, uh, all those trades, excuse me, the nine trades early on? Very tough to do a mock draft when you get three or four <laughs> trades that happen, and you get nine here, it really looked like some teams got aggressive. And we knew, Brentley, coming in that there were teams that had top ten picks or high picks that were willing to move back if they could still get the player they expected. Yeah, I mean, this draft was something like I've never seen before with all the action up top. You know, once you got to around pick ten to really the rest of the first round, it seemed like we had to trade every other pick. I think it really just speaks to teams really sticking to their board and understanding, hey, you know, in certain positions, if we miss out on one of these top guys, the value just simply isn't there in the first round, like specifically for a receiver. If you miss out on those first couple, those first four, you're looking at maybe the next guy on your board being a late round two kind of grade. And so teams are hyper-aggressive and moving up and down the board and secure and get the player they want and, Additionally, I think this year is really unique in terms of all the veteran players who we just have seen lately just wanting out of their teams and wanting to be dealt. And you think about A.J. Brown, who obviously got traded, Marquise Brown, who obviously got traded on draft night. I just think between those two factors really led to a, a really unique situation where nine trades, nine trades, it, it, it was crazy. So let's move on to the Packers. I want to start with them. They got two Georgia defenders with, at 22 and 28, Walker and Wyatt. And then the receiver they yeah. got early in the second round, uh, Christian Watson from North Dakota State. That is in Alabama. That's not Clemson. That's not Georgia when you look <laughs> at the quality of player there. Aaron Rodgers seems to be fine with it. But once again, it didn't seem like it was a massive move for them considering they lost Devontae Adams. How'd you say it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I thought the Packers did okay. They were in a tough spot picking at 22. The chances of, you know, a receiver who was able to actually make a day one impact falling to 22 was really slim to none. So if they weren't going to package some picks up and go and get a Garrett Wilson, go and get a Drake London, go and get a Chris Olave, I think they were pretty understanding and content with the fact that they probably aren't going to get a day one contributor at the receiver position. Now, 
That being said, I do like Christian Watson. I thought they got him a good value at pick 34, um, 6'4", runs a 4'340", really kind of a height rate speed type of prospect. But with him, it's just there's a, there's a lot of rawness to him. He has some issues with, with uh, running routes and, and being able to get in and out of breaks. The hand-eye coordination is spotty sometimes, and he really just needs to learn to play with more consistency. So for a team that has a massive hole, obviously at receiver, the loss of Devontae Adams, and, and really even when Adams was there, we were saying receiver was still a need because Alan Lazard and, and some of the other guys having their roster just simply aren't striking fear in opposing defenses. So the opportunity is going to be there for Watson. I just I just can't get too excited about, about the pick when you think about how raw he is as a prospect and how much they meet him day one. I think it's an interesting fit. He might be able to prove us wrong, but if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm very, very concerned to enter into the season with the way the variety season depth chart looks like. Brentley Wiseman, kind enough to join us, the Draft Network, former NFL scout with the Chargers, worked with the Patriots and the Raiders. I want to go to the Jets. I think Sauce Gardner fell to them at four because Stingley went at number three. They got Garrett Wilson, and then they go up and get Jeremiah Johnson from Florida State. What a player at number 26. They had a massive first-round haul before the back end and what they've done, but all that matters is if the quarterback and Zach Wilson has a great offseason and plays better, and he's able to elevate his game. I had the Jets slightly over the Giants. How'd you see it with the two teams from New York, New Jersey? Oh, I thought both of those teams hit it out of the park, but I think the Jets definitely, but what they did, what they were able to do on day two, to me, I have them comfortably ahead of the Giants. You think about the addition of Brees Hall, who I thought, and I said on broadcast, if he goes to a wide zone scheme, that kind of Shanahan running, running, running game scheme that the Jets uh, deploy, he has the potential to be a Pro Bowl running back early on in his career. He is a north-south, downhill, downhill, explosive running back with excellent vision and patience, and that's exactly what you needed running the Shanahan offense. So I love the addition of Brees Hall to the Jets. And then with their third-round pick, selecting tight end Jeremy Rucker out of Ohio State, that's another guy who I thought was kind of underrated through the process. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ohio State having two essentially top ten receivers, Rucker wasn't able to get the production that – he might have been able to get, you know, playing at another program where they didn't have those weapons. But this is a very athletic tight end, has really good body control, has really good hands, can block. So he's a complete player. That them being able to add those two players alongside Garrett Wilson to kind of build and surround your young quarterback, Zach Wilson, with some weapons, I thought they hit it completely out of the park. Brentley Wiseman, as we wrap it up, I thought Philadelphia might have had the best draft. I got him a solid A. I'm not going to give an A+. Plus, but Jordan Davis at number 13 was risk-reward. Uh, Davis could have been taken anywhere from 9 to 12. He falls to the Eagles there. Uh, I love what they did by getting A.J. Brown, a proven guy to help Jalen Hurts. And I'm a Jalen Hurts guy. But the tough part about Philadelphia, Hurts is not going to have more than a year because Philly's got draft equity next year to go get another young quarterback if they don't think Jalen Hurts is the answer do you think Philadelphia has enough now to be better than Dallas on paper in the NFC East? I definitely think they do. I mean, the addition of A.J. Brown to pair alongside Devontae Smith is, is going to be phenomenal. Um, I think both of those receivers, they really complement each other really well. You mentioned Jordan Davis to plug alongside Fletcher Cox and Devon Hargrave. 
in the middle by evil defense, and that's really going to go along with the help in their running game. You have Darius Slay. They probably still could use another corner off of opposite him, but I thought the Eagles did really, really well. And then you think about Nicobe Dean, right, the Georgia linebacker who fell for, I think, injury reasons, and, and maybe he's a little shorter and lacks some length than the prototype linebacker. But you talk about instincts, athleticism, and toughness at the linebacker position. That's exactly what Nicobe Dean brings. And for me, it seems like forever we've always said, oh, the Eagles need help at their linebacker role. If, the, if Dean's healthy, and by all accounts, coming out of Philadelphia, he's going to be ready for rookie minicamp, so we'll see if he's healthy. They might have got the steal of the draft in the Kobe Dean on day two. Nicely said. We're wrapping it up with Brentley Wiseman. At Brentley12 is where to find him on social media. Kenny Pickett goes to the Steelers as the quarterback yep. at number 20. Kind of tough for Mitch Trubisky. If Pickett doesn't land there, Malik Willis dropped like a rock after that, so I don't think Pittsburgh <laughs> was really interested. And even if Pittsburgh took Willis instead of Pickett, I think Trubisky plays and probably plays for a full year. Now I think they're going to rush Kenny Pickett. How do you see that? Yeah, I think you know this is going to be one of those situations where you know they're going to call it an open competition. They're going to say both guys have a fair opportunity to battle it out, but you don't draft Kenny Pickett at 20 to not, to not play him. You know, he, as you mentioned, this isn't a Malik Willis, Trey Lance type of situation where they're best used on the bench to develop and really gain that experience in an NFL offense. Kenny Pickett has played in an NFL offense. Kenny Pickett has played over 42 games as a starter. So, to me, this is a situation where he, he will be the week one starter no matter what they, no matter what they say. Um, I love the fit for him, obviously staying home at Pittsburgh. He has weapons around him and Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool, a solid offensive line, good overall structure and infrastructure with the Steelers organization. Pickett was my number one quarterback, and I actually thought he got underrated throughout the process just because of all the hype some of the other guys were starting to receive. You know, think the Redder, think about Malik Willis, even Matt Corral. But I always thought Kenny Pickett was the most consistent most uh, underrated passer of the group. So I was really happy to see him kind of go where I had him in my personal rankings. All right, my friend, who had the worst draft, the worst off season, didn't do enough via the trade market, free agency, and didn't impress you. I'm putting you on the spot. Give me one team. Yeah, I mean, I could go a couple teams here. Obviously, I think the Niners are in trouble dealing with their current situation with Garoppolo and Debo. But in terms of the worst draft, I mean, yeah, there's no other answer besides the New England Patriots. And, and I, I get it, you know, Bill's going to trust his board, and he might make us all stupid in a couple of years. But to, to trade back and select Cole Strange out of UT Chattanooga, uh, interior offensive lineman, who I like, JT, I liked him, but I liked mm-hmm. him in the third round. And then it's also a questionable scheme fit because he's more of that zone blocker where Patriots employ a gap power scheme is highly questionable. Then in the second round, they take round receiver Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor, who has some good speed, but he's just a one-trick pony. He's a, primarily a deep threat, who I thought they could probably get you know, in the fourth round. And then in the fourth round, with their pick, they draft Bailey Zappi, quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very surprising. I mean, obviously, you have Max Jones. Do you really need to invest in a fourth-round quarterback? I simply didn't understand any of their picks throughout the course of the weekend and you know the whole narrative is hey we got to build around Mac Jones and really allow him to succeed and I just don't think they did that thank you fantastic let's do it again thanks for joining us I really appreciate it
All right, JT, anytime. Thank you, my friend. And that's, uh, that's the first guy I've ever interviewed, Brentley Wiseman, that criticized the Patriots draft. That's the first guy that actually had the guts to say. I asked him who did the worst, and he said the Patriots. And again, we won't know. We won't know for a number of years. I had Dave Ziegler in studio an hour and a half ago, and he talked about his draft, and he came from the Patriots. It's hard to figure out who won, but to me, the Jets, the Giants, I thought Cincinnati did really well on the back end of their draft with their first two picks and how they upgraded their defense on a Super Bowl championship team. Giants, Jets, Philly, Cincinnati, and then there's a whole bunch of others, A minus, B plus. Uh, But I thought the Jets with Gardner, Johnson, and Wilson were fantastic. And only if they build on it. You know, the Jets got better. Uh, Big news on Ryan Tannehill today, everybody. Ryan Tannehill had no idea that his team was going to select a quarterback in Malik Willis. So that's according to Ian Rappaport, who put that out today. Ryan Tannehill said he wasn't informed ahead of time that the Titans were drafting Malik Willis. He did call Willis right after he was drafted to congratulate him. And also the other news today on Ryan Tannehill is that he went to therapy after the playoff loss. Said it's not his job to mentor Malik Willis. Oh, no. Don't want to hear that. Remember, Brett Favre said that about Aaron Rodgers. So the Titans are well aware of how much an opportunity they cost themselves. They lost to the Bengals, who went on to the Super Bowl, 19-16. That was the final score, 19-16 in the divisional round of the playoffs. And Tannehill threw three interceptions in that game. Tannehill said, quote, it's a deep scar. Every time I close my eyes, I kind of rewatch the game. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep for weeks. I was in a dark place, and it took me a while to work my way out of it. I worked through it, but therapy, talking to people, time helped. It took a lot of work to get through. Tannehill said he had a lot of sessions with therapy and is now able to look back on that game and learn from it while moving on. The veteran quarterback had been going to therapy for a little while, but the sting of that playoff loss brought him to a new level of pain. Quote, This is the first time I absolutely needed therapy to pull me out of a dark space and the loss being such a scar, but he feels it's something he can serve to fuel him to work hard to get ready for this upcoming season. Well, good luck with that because they ended up getting Malik Willis in the third round of the pick. Tannehill had a big part of the loss. Nothing wrong with telling everybody you're going to therapy if it's going to help you. But here's where Tannehill's in trouble. He said, I don't think it's my job to mentor him, but if he learns from me along the way, that's a great thing. Wow. I kind of agree with him. He's the starter. He's been a really good player for a couple of years, Tannehill. He's not elite. He's not super, super elite. Derek Carr gets that all the time. Derek always gets from the media that he's not elite or super elite, but I think Tannehill is better than Tannehill. But Tannehill's been to the playoffs more, and you got to win. Because young quarterbacks are ready to take your spot, unless you're Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is the only guy that gets guaranteed contracts, doesn't have to get to the playoffs or win in the playoffs, that still remains on the team. Thanks again to Brentley Wiseman for joining us. Really appreciated that as we continue on. A lot to get to this week. We're off tomorrow, Aviators Baseball. It's rare when they preempt us during the day, but we're off tomorrow for that, and we'll be back Thursday and Friday. Just get off the phone with Fred Bolitnikoff was listening at home, as he always does. He's going to join us on Friday to promote his golf tournament. I hope you would all be able to attend. 
his gala, his banquet. It's going to be fantastic. It's Sunday and Monday night. We'll give you all the details coming up in a couple of weeks when the event is here in town. I've been anchoring this event, emceeing this event, as long as any event I've ever emceed. And when the Bolitnikovs ask me to get involved, I always do. So when that comes up here, we're going to have an unbelievable time. Unbelievable time. I'm splitting time with Coaches versus Cancer and the Bolitnikovs. But the Bolitnikovs throw a great golf event. That is Monday, May 16th. Uh, there's a great event on the 15th Sunday night into Monday. We'll tell you all about that. So we're going to be busy here over the next couple of days and a couple of weeks. I'm also heading out to Chicago on May 20th, which is a Friday to MC the Gridiron Greats for Mike Ditka. And this will be my sixth year in a row doing that. And we go back and forth between Chicago and Las Vegas. And this year, we're up in Chicago. So looking forward to some good weather and getting out there for that. 702-365-9200. If you want to get through before the top of the hour, before Q comes up, and then Vinny Bonsignor, love to get your reaction to the Dave Ziegler interview, which I'm sure is going to be up at Raiders.com at some point. And now we're just waiting for the schedule release, which is coming up here pretty soon on May 12th. When the schedule release comes up, we'll be coming off the air, and then we'll have a whole big show the following day on it. Get your airline tickets available. It's not easy to fly anymore. Give credit to Milwaukee. They did a good job, had a good game plan, but we missed a lot of open shots, and they hit us in the mouth, so we got to be ready for the next one. NBA playoffs are here, everybody. Get ready for it. They're here in a big way. That is Jalen Brown and what's going to happen with Boston tonight. That is must-see television as Boston's going to be able to – has to put up a fight. They have to put up a big fight there. I root against Boston. I wanted them to beat, and Bobby runs the show. He's all Boston. I've been New York with my sports teams, Yankees, when it comes to Knicks. But now that this is when I actively root against Boston. It was nice that they knocked out Kyrie. I wanted them to knock out Kyrie. That was really important to me. But now I want Boston out because my dad's going to be out here in a couple of weeks. My dad turns 84 and my son turns 21 on the same day, May 24th. And we're going to have a celebration. I talk to my dad every day and he wants to beat Boston. So I'm behind my dad. How about Draymond Green? As he got ejected in the first game of the series in Memphis. And he loves it because he gets to talk about it on his podcast. It gets to build up his reputation. Here's Draymond. I am dumb enough to think that it would not even be a flagrant one that, you know, the the playoffs are a little tougher and not as soft as the regular season, you know, and that you can bump a little more and you get away with a little more, you know, like I think tonight uh, was probably a, rep- a reputation thing more so than a hard foul. By definition, if we go through the definition of a flagrant two foul, I'm not sure that play would quite be the definition of a flagrant foul. I'm not sure it would meet that criteria. Yeah, it meant, of course it meant the criteria. The referees who worked the game, and it was a fringe play, the referees went to the monitor and checked it out and saw Draymond Green go a, 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 basically go his hand against the face and grab a jersey and, and bring someone to the ground. Now, he softened the fall. But when you grab someone by the jersey and bring them down to the court, that's a flagrant two. 
Draymond doesn't want to hear anything about that. Draymond not happy with the NBA and some of the rules. There's a lot of things, Steve, in this league that are probably old and outdated and doesn't make sense, and people are too lazy to go change them. That's probably one of them. I can, I can, I got a laundry list of them to give to you. I don't know if we have the time today, but I got a laundry list of things that are probably old, i.e. players can't invest in a company that, a, that an owner is leading the investment in. There's a laundry list of things that are old and they worked in the 60s and it probably don't work today, but people are too lazy to go change them. Draymond Green's going to have a big role with the media when he gets out. Very similar to Charles Barkley. I think Barkley's a lot better than Draymond Green. But Draymond Green is following the path of Charles Barkley to come into the sport and be an analyst who will speak his mind on any topic, any topic out there. Uh, Let's get out to Mac in Los Angeles on the Raiders mobile app. How are you, Mac? I'm doing good, uh, JT. Hey, man, I just want to say congratulations on all you did, and you guys all did a great job on this this draft. Putting, putting everything together, man. I, I'm, I'm just so happy we have a, Ra- a Raiders uh, station because, man, we don't get the prop or, or nothing from even when we win. And we it's still we got to win the Super Bowl for us to get any recognition. But um, JT, I want to talk about the the draft. I think it was a good draft. I don't mm-hmm. think it was a great draft because because of, of, of a couple of picks. But I do want to say. Yeah, we gotta we gotta figure out where to get a linebacker at, JT. Mm-hmm. We've been missing a, a linebacker since Rod Martin and uh, uh, and uh, the other kid that, that fell on the ball. What's his, I think it was um, Greg that Beaker. Fell on the ball with Ch- Greg, Greg Beaker, Beaker on the tuck yeah. rule. Yeah, we, we haven't had we haven't had. I mean, we have we we need a guy, a young kid. We why can you answer why we're not why we would not. Go into I asked the him. Get a linebacker. I, I asked him. He the, the, wasn't in the the best player available when he made the picks there, and it's something that I believe. You know, they brought in Denzel Perryman. He went to the Pro Bowl last year. Give the pass regime some credit for that. Nicholas Morrow was set to be a captain on defense and to play a major role, and he got injured and he never get back on the field again. One of the biggest mysteries to me in recent Raider history is how was Nicholas Morrow out that many weeks. What was it, 12, 13, 14 weeks? I couldn't believe yeah. it there. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think they'll get a linebacker on a veteran cut down. But they like Diablo. They like Perryman. They do have guys that can play. Malcolm Koontz can drop back in. But no doubt, I'm right with you, my friend, Mac. They need, a, they need a linebacker. They need a star linebacker. That's why I screamed a year ago to go get Micah Parsons. And I know you did. Hey, one thing, JT, I, I want to ask you, too. Mm-hmm. It, on the schedule that's coming, the, the schedule the NFL is going to do. Do you do you think they would do an all AFC uh, week uh, week one uh, with the Raiders on Monday night with the Chargers and the the Chiefs and um, the Chiefs and the Broncos uh, on Sunday night? Do you think they would do something like that? Yeah, I don't. That's a really good question. I appreciate the call. I don't know what they're going to do with the Raiders' schedule now that the Raiders have Vegas locked up and nothing against Oakland because the Raiders got that Monday night game, that second Monday night game in Oakland, which I never liked. It was the B game. It wasn't the A game. It was always the the junior varsity game. I'm done with that. Anything that happens in Vegas is the varsity. Any game they put in prime time on Thursday, Sunday, or Monday night, the Raiders and Vegas are the draw. I'd like to see the Raiders play Kansas City early. I like taking out the big guy early in the season. 
Look at what the Raiders did with Pittsburgh last year. Baltimore on Monday night. Drew Brees on Monday night football. Remember Drew Brees opening up the stadium? I'm all for a tough game at home where you can have a home field advantage game against a division opponent. Give me the Chargers. Give me Denver. I'd rather have Kansas City early. Catch them early and have an opportunity to take control of that. Thanks to Bobby for putting together the show. And the Raiders general manager, Dave Ziegler. You can find that at Raiders.com and LVNetworks.com.